The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. 
verse, verse 15. This is what Jesus says. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's see those words, the time has come. This is the moment when John the Baptist had been put into prison. Jesus, Jesus took this as his cue to step in. The two words used in the Bible for time. One is chronos, which is just your chronological time, which is another second passing, the time passes. But the other is this word kairos. It's a moment when it's like time stops. Life gets your attention. And each of us will have these kairos moments in our lives. And if I just say to you, pick the two or three things that happen in your life. That you that shaped you, that had a big impact on you, you would be able to pick them as a Kairos moment. It's like God intervenes in, into your life. It may have been a marriage, it may have been an illness, it may have been a particular job you, you went into, or it may have been the moment God arrested you and said, Will you follow Jesus Christ? Will you follow him as your Lord and Savior? You can pick that moment. This is the moment for Jesus. This is how Jesus, the Son of God, who, who knew he had come on earth for a mission, this is how he knew this was the time to start his ministry. John the Baptist was put in prison. Even the Son of God needed to hear from God the Father about when to act. It's a kairos moment the time has come. Like when he's a pastor and he couldn't be paid and He's a disciple, he says this about a Kairos moment. He says, a Kairos moment is when eternal God breaks into your circumstances with an event that gathers some of the loose ends of your life and knocks them together in his hands. It's like that moment is specific for you. Not the person sitting next to you, but that a different moment when God intervened, when God got your attention. It may be right now, friend. Maybe right now you're going through a difficult time. That's a Kairos moment when God is wanting to get your attention to speak to you about yourself, life, and the way you act in life and the way you go about managing life. Kairos moment. I want to say this as well this morning, that no matter how far down the road you are with Jesus, there will be key moments when he will ask you to follow him just a little further. You will have a moment that will come just a little bit more about him and his needs Carry on with that verse, verse 15. Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has the new kingdom of God is very much God's rule and reign. It's not just some, some philosophical idea. It actually is a place where God reigns. It's this place where, where God would step in and, and take hold of this world. You see, friends, as we read the Bible, I will ask you the question, what was the thing Jesus spoke about the most? Spoke about the kingdom of God the most. 
Let's give some context to why that was important for these folks who were speaking to this, especially as we see in a moment. Because they had stepped into a moment of history where where Israel had believed and had had, had the the, the legacy of Abraham, the the forefather, that knowing that God had picked them as a nation to to bring his good news to this world. They had this legacy of God. They had the scriptures. They had Moses. They had the prophets. They learned about 580, 586 BC to be exact. Things changed for them. What had happened is that they drifted from God, and, and this is more than 600, 600 years before Jesus was released. They drifted from God, and God had allowed a Kairos moment to happen for them as a nation. What happened is that the Babylonians, modern day Iraq, invaded them. David to Jerusalem, his armies, they came three times to Jerusalem. Finally, in 586, they decimated Jerusalem, decimated the temple, took most of them captive. And if you know the story of Daniel, Daniel was taken captive to modern day Iraq. And from that moment, from 586 BC, so almost 600 years before Jesus, till the time of Jesus, this country of Israel was always under the rule of some other country. They were always under the thumb. Also was the, the Iraqis, the Babylonians, that was the Persians, modern-day Iranians. And then it was the Greeks. It's not a Greek heritage, right? There was the Greeks. And then it was the Romans. They said, they were having these scriptures that God is going to come one day and rule from this place, Mount Zion, here on this earth. God, when is that going to happen? Jesus steps in and says, the time is now. It's at hand. The kingdom of God is upon you. It's, it's breaking in. God's rule is going to break in. And the people that he called had all sorts of ideas, and we'll see about two of those in a moment. They had all sorts of ideas about what God looked like. But Jesus was saying, you see, the breaking in of the rule and reign of God has begun. It has begun. So what does it say? We hear these words and, and, and we have a, a filter to which we put these words. It's important that we go back and actually look at the context and understand these words a bit better so we can stretch that meaning for us because we get stuck. For many people in, in our context, we can't even believe both of these are commands, by the way. We can't begin to change the direction you're going in. You, you're realizing your life is a mess. You're realizing you've made some horrible, horrible decisions that we all have in our lives. And we're counting the cost for that. And we've lived our lives without God. We finally realize it's finally gone on us in Kairos moment that God is the answer to my life. And, and I need God. There's a space in my life. My heart is restless until I find God. Direction. Go down this path, and you need to go down that path. So you go back, and you go down that path. That's to repent. And the word they need is to put your faith in. Jesus is saying the time is now for you to make a change. It's a good insight into what these words actually meant. And this comes from a historian called Josephus. Josephus lived at around the time of the Apostle Paul, just after Jesus, and he was a Jew. He was a Aristocrat, and he was an author and a historian. And he, he was, while he was a Jew, he, he changed sides and he started working for the Romans. 
And in AD 66, that's when the war broke out between the Jews and the Romans, and that's began. The temple was destroyed in AD 70. But Joseph is now working for the Romans. He goes into Galilee. Well, Galilee was actually a hotbed for, for, for zealots and for the people who were anti government. Right? So this place was poisoned, and this is what Jesus was preaching uh, in this area. Josephus goes into this place and there's this rebel leader, this Galilean, who wants to fight the Romans. And Josephus goes up to him and says to him, Repent and believe. Same words. What does he mean? He's saying, Mate, give up your agenda. Where this is going is going to end in a whole lot of trouble for you. Repent and believe. In other words, Turn away from what you are going to do and take on my agenda. I've got a better path for you to go. Repent and believe. Same words. Give up your agenda for your life and take on this better agenda, this better plan which will end in good things for you. Because as we go back to this verse, it says, Repent and believe the good news. What is good news about what Jesus is and is doing? The word good news was used, just to give a little bit more context, this word was used to, to announce good things that have happened. Oh, there's a new a leader, there's a new Caesar in the Roman world. There's, you know, there's a battle that's been won on your behalf. These are good things. This is good news. But I'd like to stress you a little bit this morning. Look how Jesus describes what good news is to you. Being a Christian, an evangelical Christian for a long time, the good news for you and I is very important because it talks about preaching about who Jesus is. Because in my context of the good news, as I believe God wants to stretch us in this moment, they say that the gospel, the gospel is, is shallow enough for a little toddler to paddle in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. So one stretch the thinking of what the good news is about. Jesus said this. Luke chapter 4. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's Ways you can put a spiritual overtone to that, and that would be fine. And Jesus opens our eyes, our spiritual eyes, and, and sets us free from our spiritual bondage and baggages. He sets the oppressed free from our habits. And in many ways, there is that, but it's also a physical thing. Jesus steps into this world and heals blind people. Jesus steps into this world and, and speaks liberty and, and, and proclaims those on the mountain. Jesus steps, steps into this world and, and speaks kindly to children and to women. In those days, he didn't do that. And to Samaritans, he raises them up in stature, speaks them with dignity. There is something about this good news, friends, that arrests us. When Jesus would come to us and say, I bring you good news, I bring you healing, spiritually, but to bring the change to this world that you have just lost. To bring the freedom from anxiety. 
bring the freedom from poverty, to make a difference with the world, that establishes God's rule and reign on this earth. Every culture, friend, has stories with legends and epics. We call them fairy tales sometimes. We're grounded in these stories of, of fairy tales and, and, and feel-good stories. There's always a hero who rides in on some sort of horse to save and to rescue the damsel in distress. He gives her a kiss and wakes her from his, from his thunder to rescue her and, and, and you know, to show her duty to the world, to come and change this world and, and break the evil that's in this world. And J.R. Tolkien would say that even J.R. Tolkien was a story, as a, as a writer who wrote The Lord of the Rings, I'll talk about that in a moment, J.R. Tolkien has said that behind these stories, actually God has implanted in our hearts the things that we hope for. We're all hoping for a king to come to rescue us. And we watch these stories of, of, of good triumph and evil. There's something about it that resonates with us. And he would argue, and he wrote an essay on fairies, he would argue that the fact that, there's, that every culture has this music deep within our, our psyche, deep within our hearts, God is looking in this idea that he wants to come and rescue us and be our king. That, that's how C.S. Lewis came to be a Christian, helping and C.S. Lewis with, with friends. And, and C.S. Lewis believed that there was a God, there was a deist, particularly deist, there was a God, but the deist was interested. But when, when Tolkien explained to C.S. Lewis that all of the great stories that C.S. Lewis loved and loved to write, uh, uh, you know, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, that actually there were spiritual truths hidden in that. And you see, both in Tolkien's work and C.S. Lewis, he talks about spiritual truths. The first one, the Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings, if you don't know the story, and I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, it's self-confession this morning. Any other Lord of the Rings fans out there? Okay, so speaking to some who haven't had that well. Good, mate. Um, good to see some of the old guys also right here. Um, he wrote into Lord of the Rings in deep Christian undertones, and there's this ring of power, this, this ring that corrupts those who grab a hold of it. And, and this ring of power, whoever, whoever has it, they find himself being changed and transformed to the negative, to the evil. And so they corrupt others around them. And the job is given to this little hobbit, this little unseen person, to take this river power and to destroy it, to deal with it. And he does, Frodo. But in the story, we encounter another king, the king of Gondor. And in many ways, Tolkien talks about what you and I are looking for. And it's in the book, not in the, not in the, in the, in the, in the movie. But, but the, the people sit in, 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 in this, in this, in this, in, in Middle Earth, and it's some of the main characters, Mary, and Thalamir, and Eowyn. They were Eowyn. And, and the, the, some folks have taken them to this house of healing. And one of the ladies there, one of the, one of the old wives, she's, she's told them about this tale, and that is Rolf. And this is what Rolf said about the king of Gondor that he's come to do. This is what he said, the hands of the, of the king are the hands of his healer. And so shall the light of the king be not connect with our hearts about what Jesus did for us? 
send you out to fish for people. I will use your gifts and talents to make a difference in this world. And at once, notice the word at once, immediately this pious moment they responded and followed him. There were two other blokes a little bit further down. We carry on reading Mark 1, 19 and 20. When he gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing the nest. Without delay, again, they responded. He called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the five men and followed him. Don't you get closer to leave your family as a big deal? It would be like giving up your career. It would be like giving up something which is really important to us in the Western world. Because your family was everything in those cultures and many cultures in the world. To give that up and say that I follow Jesus, that that is asking me to follow him, and nothing is more important. That's the moment James and John were in. By the way, Jesus met them where they were at. James and John, Jesus called the sons of thunder. These are blokes who, who were seeing Jesus as this Messiah who's going to come and help them overthrow the Romans. And so they joined Jesus on that basis. They were hotheads. They, they, they wanted to do this by force. But Jesus, my friend, met them at their point of understanding. And he said to them, I will make you to become Christians. When he called these men, as we heard this morning in the picture, not only were they alive changed, but the history of the world is changed as well. What you're reading here is a pivotal place in the change of Because as A.W. Tozer, also a Christian writer, said, that God's purpose in redemption is to make worship out of like worshippers out of rebels. There's a few things I want to pick up on what Jesus did and why I would encourage you to follow Jesus more deeply. And friend, if you follow Jesus for your whole life, I even was challenged by this as I prepared. I had this challenge to ask myself a question, is my love and passion for Jesus Christ getting cold? And if it has, what do I need to do to change it? Notice what Jesus did. Look at this. Jesus came to where they were. 
understands the scriptural language, he understands your context, he understands your family situation, he understands what's going on in your life. He comes to where you are. Secondly, Paul is somehow convinced that Jesus was very different from other leaders. And if you're exploring Jesus for the first time, there'll come a moment when you will realize he's somehow different to all the other leaders we know. Jesus is one of the claims about himself in this gospel that, that if Bono said Jesus was either the Messiah or he was not. Thirdly, Jesus, and the good news made sense to them where they were at. And lastly, Jesus gave them a greater purpose in life. When they knew There's somebody who we can follow, somebody we can call to look to, somebody we can call friend. If we have, as evangelical Christians, and there's very good grounding we have to say, Lord, I believe in, in, the, in your death on the cross, I, I believe in those things you did for me, and you did take in my place, there is a humbling that happens with that. There is a humbling to say, now that I believe that, what do I do in this place? Jesus would ask you to follow him and your king is nothing. Because I stir our hearts again. I stir us to action to see that God has placed in front of you within your gospel. Forget the thoughts in the question that when Jesus said, go and preach the gospel against you have to stand on the corner. But there's different ways to preach the gospel. What has God put in your hands to bring in the kingdom of God in the place? Friends, we can't be upset about the state of this world. We can go, oh, who, who knows what's going to happen? We can give up. We can be anxious and angry about our world, or we can be part of the solution to our world. We can be part of the solution to the problems we are facing. Three quick ways to put this into action in our thoughts. Firstly, in what ways do I bring your attention right now? I'm going to ask you to leave your career. I'm going to do something with your life. You always fight deep in your heart. And maybe saying to you for the first time, follow me, put your trust in me. I want to be your Lord and Savior. And you take me that anxious step going here, and I trust him a lot. And I trust him a lot, and you take the pain of me. You only ask us to take that step. What's he saying to you right now? How is he getting your attention? What is this power's moment for you? Secondly, what I want to ask, and I ask myself this question as well What secret agenda do you, do I have? That is robbing me of my joy, that is robbing you of your joy in following this path to Jesus. Because if my life is not displaying the joy of the Holy Spirit, there's something that is loving. And that word repentant believes is give up your agenda. Give up your agenda. It's loving you. Spirituality, joy, and love. What is that secret agenda you have? And thirdly, how are you different 
demonstrate the kingdom of God where you are. Every good gift and the way to practice good things is a gift from God. People sometimes say, yeah, I'd rather go to hell because that's what all my friends are going to be. My friends, in hell there is no friendship. Because in hell, everything that's good about this world is not going to be there. Here's it. God in Genesis, He created the world of a new world. The things that you do to bring good in this world, is the kingdom of God breaking in you? Your house, your spouse, your spouse. If God has called us to be good, to do good, speak the good, to do good news and thank you. Hearing about Jesus, to make it great, just having a cup of tea, having somebody else to coffee, and that's really the discussion of going to Jesus. You may not be a great Bible study leader, but you're a great artist. You can paint things which reflect the beauty of God. Maybe a songwriter, a poet. As an evangelical church, we've lost sight of these things. We'll be bringing good news to the people. So generosity, hospitality, so love and concern for others. So concern for our environment is that we've given us a good thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's ultimately may they come to know about Jesus and demonstrate his love for the fellow who goes to Jesus said, repent and believe the good news, the kingdom of God is in Father, we thank you that you have broken into this world and this morning have broken into our world. And in this place, in this space, you come and speak to us and say, Listen to the things you speak of. Things that change the world. And keep the way things are. Just to do that. Here, in this world. In this world. In this time. In this moment. Help us to bring Jesus. Into our neighborhoods. As he told us to pray, our Father. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Now, this earth, in my street, in my neighborhood, in my city, 
Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.